Please take your Bibles and go to the book of Psalms. Once again, the Psalms. Psalm 34, and that black Bible in the chair in front of you, if you need a black Bible or Bible, there's a black Bible. And that Bible in the chair in front of you, go to page 405, you'll find Psalm 34, page 405 in that black Bible, Psalm 34. And I'm doing the Psalm uh, today, Psalm 34, and then next week we'll start in the Gospel of John. Uh, I haven't figured out how long we'll be in the Gospel of John. We'll do the first 13 verses next week and then 14 through 18 the week after. We're doing the prologue. Um, it's important for us to understand the prologue, so we're going to do that, take a couple weeks, and then we'll jump into the gospel. It'll be fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's really hot. It's just water, it's not coffee. You don't want me drinking coffee. I'll be like, I'll be like, I don't Psalm 34. Let me read. Notice the superscript of David. When he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. I'll bless Yahweh at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in Yahweh. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints, for to those who fear him there's no want. The young, young lions that do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear Yahweh. Who is the one who desires life and loves days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15. The eyes of Yahweh are toward the righteous and his ears are to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and Yahweh hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned Yahweh redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Every, well, it's been almost every Saturday in the afternoon, we, we go outside, me and the kids, and we play this game, although they call it 
street volleyball, but it's not, it's just not what, it's not what it is. Well, it is, kind of. We're just hitting the ball in the street, and there's like an imaginary line. It, but but the best fun is that there's no certainty as where the ball will go. I think a neighbor said, do you guys want me to give you a net? I'm like, no, because then we have to follow rules. There's no rules. The only rule is don't pick up the ball. You try not to pick up the ball. You try and keep it going. Uh, the, the f- and it makes us laugh. The fun part is that, uh, you know, like yesterday, you know, I, I kick the ball and it goes off of Mercy's arm and then it hits one of the kid's head and then it goes the other side. You know, it's, and we're like, ah, that's funny. You know, so we're laughing. It's fun because the, the, the fun part is it's so uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. That's what makes it fun. And, and you, know, it's, you don't want rules for that because then, then you'll have to follow these rules. That's what makes it fun. And that's life. <laughs> we're uncertain of where it goes, aren't we? And yet many times we're not laughing. Sometimes we do. Many times we don't. Two years this month, it's been. Two years this month since this whole pandemic began. A lot has changed in the past two years, hasn't it? You know, there's so many uncertainties about this virus. Anyone who claims to be an expert is an actual idiot because no one really knows. We're so uncertain about everything about this virus. Then add all the uncertainties of life in general. Cancer, dementia, the uncertainty of a job. As an employee, as an employer, Life is full of uncertainty. And this is where we find comfort is one place in this psalm. I titled it this way, Managing Our Uncertain Lives with Our Ever-Certain Satisfying God. Managing Our Uncertain Lives Life is uncertain. How do you manage it? You manage it with an ever-certain, satisfying, good, gracious God. That's how you manage. And I'm sure there's other ways the Bible speaks about. True, but in terms of what this psalm says, so we're looking at just this psalm, Psalm 34. How do you manage our uncertain Lives. How do you manage your uncertain life? How do you do that? You do that with an ever certain satisfying God and he's going to give you four ways to do that. We'll see that in a moment. So when life comes at us with all these uncertainties, this psalm helps us to know how to manage life with our good, sure, satisfying God. This psalm helps us to know how to manage life how to manage your life with this good God, with your good God, with your satisfying God, with your gracious God. You know, these superscripts from the Psalms are important because it gives you uh, kind of a, a historical account of why David wrote this song or why this 
author wrote this song, and, and you notice from the superscript, it's of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. This is from 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. You want to talk about a guy who understood that life was uncertain? That's David. I mean, he was certain he was going to be king because he was anointed king, but yet Saul's trying to kill him. Talk about uncertainty. Talk about living a life that's unsure. When was the last time you had somebody trying to kill you? And it's the king. You know, President Biden's going to come after you specifically. He's naming you, Travis. I'm coming after you. Would you like that? You want that? So he's surrounded by Saul and his army. So what he does, he fled to Achish, another way named Abimelech, who recognized him as a dangerous enemy. Isn't this the guy who kills Philistines and all this stuff? And so what David did, he let the saliva run down his beard. He acted like a madman. So Achish would leave him alone. Whew. That was close. And he did. Achish left them alone. So here's G being chased by Saul. Is, is he going to be slain by Achish? And he writes this psalm, wow, God was so good to me. I almost died. So David's going to give us four ways we can manage life. Four ways to manage life. And again, there's other ways, but just from this psalm, he's going to give us four ways. And notice the first one. We praise our need meeting God. God meets our needs and we praise him. Praise our need meeting God. In verses one through seven, notice how it begins. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'll praise him. Praising God is fitting for God's people because of who he is. We give him the worth he deserves. We so love our God and notice he says how we do this. How do we praise our need meeting God. Notice continuously, there in verse one, at all times. We should praise him at all times, even in the clutches of your Abimelech. We should remember his goodness. How continuously, how, notice, contagiously. He says here, the next part, continually be in my mouth in verse one, verse two, my soul shall make its boast and Yahweh, the humble shall hear it and rejoice. They hear this praise and it draws them in. It's contagious. Uh, kind of like a virus. Ooh, that's kind of a bad illustration. But it's good. And now you know, understand how it goes, right? It's the, the idea is you're praising him as contagious and pulls people in. It's not in wisdom, not in riches, not in strength, but in knowing and fearing the Lord. And notice he says, the humble shall hear it and rejoice. The humble means those who are afflicted, who are poor, who are needy. They've learned patience in the school of affliction, says one writer. God loves to display his greatness and goodness by providing for those who truly know they are in need. He loves that. He loves it when we say, I need you, I depend upon you. I am at a loss. He loves that. 
because you're acknowledging that he's the only one and you're acknowledging he's the only one who can satisfy you. Continuously, contagiously, even says corporately, verse three, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Come on, come on. He's calling all the godly to unite with him to praise and lift up God. Let's ascribe him the greatness. Let's exalt him. Let's lift his name up together. There's a social corporate worshiping of our good God. So we praise our God, the need-meaning God, how he talks about, and then notice the reason why. Look at verse four. I sought Yahweh, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. He longed for God. He took pains to find God, and he answered. His striving had taken the form of a prayer, and God heard him. Yahweh heard him. That's why he's praising him. God heard him. He delivered me from all my fears. He rescued or snatched him from his fear of death, the death of, that Saul would bring upon him, the torture, arrest, death that Achish would bring upon him. That's why David's writing this. Look at verse five. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. They looked to him radiant. Here's the idea. We, we can approach God fearlessly and freely presenting our request to him. Remember, when we face turmoil, we should run. We should not run from God. We should run to God. Don't run from him. Why do we do that? When turmoil and temptation comes, why do we run away from God? No, no, no. Run to him. Because then you say, I, I need you. Look at verse six. Excuse me, the end of verse five. He says, and their faces shall never be ashamed. So there's a radiance, he says, in the first part of verse five, and then their faces shall never be ashamed. So he's kind of doing like a contrast here, a shining and a glitter versus shame. He's talking about God's gracious countenance is reflected upon them, and there's no shame because shame, there's disappointed hope. He's, he's contrasting a shame-covered countenance versus being bright and bold. So as we humble ourselves, God will hear an answer. We won't face shame. Instead, his grace and his goodness. And then verse six, he says, this poor man cried and Yahweh heard him. Interesting, poor man, it's the same word that's used in verse two, Humble. So the afflicted, the humble, the poor, the needy, the I need God type guy, me, I cried to him and Yahweh heard him. He saved me out of all his troubles. See, God in Christ, he invites all the poor, the afflicted, the humble people to cry out to him as the only one in the universe who completely provides for him everything that they need. Come, he says, Because when they do this, he'll give victory. He'll deliver you. He'll come to you. He comes to those who humble themselves before him. Uh, Look at how David explains this even more. Verse seven, the angel of Yahweh encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Not just any angel. 
It's the angel of Yahweh. This is a, what's called a Christophany. An appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament before Christ took on flesh. He counts on those who fear him. It's actually a transition verse into the next section. You'll see that in a moment. See, God's favor is open to anyone who fears him in Christ. And when he says fear, the word fear, if you remember from last week, it means um, awestruck. It's like a, whoa, I'm kind of fearful of that, but yet I'm almost in awe of that, but I love it, but I'm fearful of that. It's like both, like I love fear. It's, it's a joy. It makes me happy, but yet I'm kind of scared of it. That's what fear means, being awestruck, so amazed. God's favor is upon those who respond that way to him. Uh, He will bring salvation to anyone who humbles himself, to anyone who humbles herself before God and says, God, I need you to save me. I know I deserve wrath. I know I deserve your judgment. I know you should condemn me, but I ask for you to rescue me, and he will. He'll deliver you. He'll forgive you in Christ. So we praise the God who's, our, who's the one who needs, meets our needs. Uh, number two, second way to manage life, fear our goodness-giving God. Fear him. This is the transition from verse seven and verse eight. Fear him. Fear our goodness-giving God. And, and notice he's, first going to talk about the benefits of his goodness giving because he says in verse 8 taste and see that Yahweh is good there's nothing to present us from understanding God's goodness by actually experiencing it in our lives for those who fear him for those who fear him they taste and see his goodness they taste it in their own life experience and they know he's a good God and all that he does. Next part of verse eight. Happy is the one who takes refuge in him. Yes, I know it says blessed, but to define that and to give the definition of what that means, the word means happy. Happy is the person who takes refuge in him. He'll satisfy you. God will never disappoint the expectations of those who take refuge in him who ultimately take refuge in Christ. He will bring you, bring you pleasure beyond your wildest dreams, beyond expectation. This is the one who's anchored in God and the one who's anchored in God, they know happiness. And that's what we tell the LGBTQIA. That's what we say to them. We don't tell them you want to become a heterosexual. We tell them, come and God will bring you great pleasure. He'll satisfy you more than you've ever known. It's not about wealth. It's not about health. It's not about power. It's not about having a trouble-free life, but a life filled with such delight, desire, and pleasure in our Creator through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In the midst of the horrible, uncertain things of life, we are in awe of him and we have the benefits of his goodness and how he gives that to us. And, and notice how he says, it satisfies you. Look at verse nine. Oh, fear Yahweh, you his saints, for to those who fear him, there's no want. 
those who fear God, they have no want. You lack nothing. When we fear God, when we fear Him, we will lack nothing. We'll experience His goodness and possess everything in Him. He fully satisfies us. That's the heart of Christianity. God satisfies us. Jesus satisfies us. We've been made to worship God and Jesus brings you to the place where you can have a relationship with God. Just a little tidbit on the Gospel of John. And this is eternal life, says Jesus, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is eternal life? It's relationship. It's relational. It's personal. It's intimate. That's eternal life. It's not so much a place. Heaven is on a full place. Well, yeah, it is, because Jesus is there. He fully satisfies us. Notice what he says about the young lions, verse 10. Young lions do lack, and they suffer hunger. Even these suffer hunger. But they who seek Yahweh shall not be in want of any good thing. If we seek the Lord, he'll provide exactly what we need because he is what we need. It's not about spending it on ourselves, but all we need is found in our God. David understood that. So he brings about the benefits of God's goodness giving. And notice how he transitions here in verse 11 through 14. Our lifestyle because of his goodness giving. Our life changes because God has been so good to us. Because he gives his goodness to us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It changes the way you live. Verse 11. Come you children. And he's not like saying you're a bunch of kids. He's saying it was a tender form of address. Come, children. Here's, I'm a master. I'm gonna teach you God's ways. I'm gonna teach you the fear of the Lord. He will teach his hearers what it means to fear God. It's a lifestyle. When you're so awestruck with God, when you're so satisfied with God, when you're so happy in God, what does that do to your life? Look at what he says in verse 12. Who is the one who desires life and loves days that he may see good? So there's desire, there's pleasure. How do you want pleasure? How's it gonna show itself in your life? Verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, a a godly life will show itself with words and with a life that's humble, teachable, gracious. Notice he says, the end of verse 14, seek peace and pursue it. A harmonious relationship, well-pleasing, run after it, chase it. When wicked people irritate us or when saints annoy us, we must seek peace with every effort without ceasing to pursue it. I mean, even David tried to seek peace with Paul, uh, with Saul, not Paul. Wait, Saul, Paul? No, not the P, but the S, Saul. Even David tried to seek peace with him. The guy was trying to kill him. 
So here's a lifestyle because of God's goodness. He's given us his goodness. Even David understood this. Even David lived this. So here's another way. How do you manage life? You're praising God. He meets our needs. You're fearing God because he gives his goodness. Number three, we cry to our righteous looking God. He looks to those who are righteous. He looks to his people. When we cry out to him, God's not saying, ugh, you know, I'm just so busy. Can you just come back later? I mean, you're just kind of annoying. God doesn't do that. You might do that. I might do that. God doesn't do that. And it's interesting, here in verse 15 through 18, David gives like an against versus a toward type contrast. God is against this, but he's toward this. Uh, I'll put it up here. Against versus toward. And I want to start with the against. Look at verse 16 first, then we'll go to 15. The face of Yahweh is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. He does not hear them, nor is he close to them. Notice he uses the word face because you remember somebody's face that's about closeness, intimacy. His face is against them. Here's the hostile intention of God. It's important for us to understand God does not hear the prayers of the wicked or of the unsaved. He doesn't hear their prayers. He doesn't hear them pray unless they pray, God, please save me. That's what David's saying. His face is against them. He cut off the memory of them. They're going to be judged by God. God will be a help against the violence of the wicked by judging them. They will not go unpunished. God will always vindicate his people. Maybe not when you think he'll vindicate you, but eventually all will be vindicated, all will be judged, which is why I want us to read Revelation 21, because that's the final vindication. And God's finally with his people. So notice there's that against, but then notice the towards, verse 15, the eyes, he talks about this, from, remember uh, last week in Psalm 33, behold the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Here in verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. It's attributing human qualities to God, anthropomorphism. He's towards, his gracious care extends towards us at all times when we cry out to him. He listens to his people. His ears are open to their cry. God's gracious intention towards his own, towards the saints, towards the righteous, towards the upright, towards those who belong to him. Don't run from God, run to him, Christian. We have a right relationship with him. He's been merciful and kind and good and gracious to us. Don't run from him. Run to him. 
Notice, his ears are open. God hears the prayers of his people as they face affliction of every kind. At the outset of trouble, we must match it with prayer. We must summon God. Come, help me, I need you. And notice how he brings us even more close to you and starting in verse 17 because he does the towards in verse 15 then he does the against in verse 16 but he continues the towards in verse 17. The righteous cry and Yahweh hears them. He, he delivers them out of all their troubles. He rescues or snatches them away from their troubles. Prayer is effective because of our relationship with God because in the end these troubles will fade because we'll be with them forever. So David's looking to not just what happened with, with uh, Achish, what happened right there, but also looking to the future. I'm going to be delivered out of all my troubles. But then notice what he says in verse 18. Those troubles are still there, but Yahweh is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God never departs from us as his people even when our spirits are crushed in pieces, when our experiences have subdued us and have brought you so low to the point of depression. Have you ever felt crushed in your spirit? Or just so broken? God is personally close to you, ready to raise you up. God will never crush us to the point where we're severed from his great protecting love. And that's why Jesus prayed that, that they might, because I love them and you love them just how I've loved you. Wow. Really? That's amazing. Didn't our Savior, the Lord Jesus, experience being crushed? And yet God will vindicate those who humble themselves. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He was crushed, but he vindicated him. How did God vindicate his son? He brought him back to life. Which means what? God will always vindicate his people. He will vindicate you. Not to mention... This is the path towards salvation. Those who are broken, those who are contrite in spirit because of their sin and they cry out to God in repentance and faith, God will show you mercy. God will save you. You should be judged. Everyone should be judged. Everyone should be condemned. God does not owe us anything. But he's merciful, kind, gracious, and compassionate in Jesus who died and rose on behalf of sinners. Repent and trust Christ. You'll be saved. God will show you your, his grace to you. So there's a praising him. We, we see that. There's a fearing of him that we're seeing. We're supposed to fear him. And then he talks about this towards and against. We're supposed to cry out to him. And then notice the fourth way that we manage through this uncertain life we trust him he's always going to keep his promises trust our promise keeping God excuse me
And then he unpacks this, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five different ways. So he shows God's gonna keep his promises. First, he delivers us. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but Yahweh delivers them out of them all. Notice, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Wait a second. Wait, what? What did I just read? <laughs> the righteous experience many different afflictions. Yeah, you read that right. Though we have a right relationship with God and live a righteous life, it does not guarantee a trouble-free life. You will face affliction. Well, how does God truly care for us as a people when he has these afflictions come to us? Why me, Lord? What did I do? Why'd you let this happen to me? Listen. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe, ruling over his people, yet his people are subject to many afflictions so that being tested by these trials, they may give evidence of their invincible dependability upon God and experience even more of his grace and his goodness. In other words, so drive you to him. Because it's not about being safe. It's about loving Jesus. That's the cliche, right? Be safe. Right? No. Love Jesus. That should be the cliche. And that's hard. Especially when you face such afflictions, sickness, even death. But to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Do we really believe that? Remember, God gets to glory when we cry out to him because he'll always keep his promises towards his people. I mean, think about it. If, if our lives are just honky-dory, then we wouldn't cry out to him. And we wouldn't need him. And we'd be self-sufficient. And that would be sin. Because we do need him. We'll never be self-sufficient. Yet he will eventually deliver us, because notice he says at the end of verse 19, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He will. Eventually, He'll vindicate his people. He always does. Uh, Verse 20, he guards us. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. God will take care of his people, in other words. We need need to learn to trust him like Jesus. Really, it's interesting. This passage almost prophesies about Jesus. Really, this whole psalm is almost a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus fulfilled this passage. The perfect son of God. Not one of his bones were broken, yet he was crushed, but he was vindicated. Here, David's writing this song, maybe realizing, who knows, that he's actually prophesying about Jesus to come. The fulfillment of the psalm is really found in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crushed and yet vindicated, which means what? We will be crushed, but we'll be vindicated. 
it's, it's a theme throughout all the Bible. God's people suffer and yet God will come and he'll vindicate us. He protects us. Notice verse 21. Evil shall slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The wicked will face their own misery. They're the cause and instruments of their own destruction. It'll come back upon them. Those who hate the righteous will pay the penalty because God always vindicates his people. Have I said that enough to you? He does. He redeems us. First part of verse 22, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. He pays the price to keep his promises to us for the glory of his name, showing he's gracious and he's so good. He paid the price. I mean, what else do we see this here but Jesus who paid the price for us? He redeemed us. And then last, he gives to us. Last part of verse 22, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. The opposite will take place for them as compared to the wicked. He's a refuge for his people. We won't be held guilty. We won't be condemned. He gives to us. He loves his own because we trust in him. So he alone is sure. He alone is certain. He alone is so good. He alone is so gracious. Life is full of uncertainty. Sometimes you're laughing like with the kickbone. Sometimes you're not laughing. How do we manage our uncertain lives with an ever certain God? An ever certain and gracious, satisfying God? I'll put them up here and, and I kind of change the wording a little bit for you. Praise Him. He meets all your needs. He meets all your needs. Not your wants. Sometimes there's wants. But never talks about your wants. The things that you need. And when you think about it, he's the only one that we need. That's hard. It's hard to think that way, right? I mean, we live in America for crying out loud. Of course it's hard to think that way. You look at a nice brand new car that they show on the TV, you're like, I need that. Of course I need that. Everybody knows that. I need that. Come on, right? I need that. I need that house. I need this car. I need this. I need this. I need blah, blah, blah. Right? That's what they tell you. You don't need that. You need Jesus. Praise Him. He meets all our needs too. Fear Him. He gives His goodness. Fear Him. He gives you His goodness. I mean, what greater goodness can be given to you than you actually have Jesus and have all your sins forgiven? Is there anything greater than that goodness? Praise Him, He meets all your needs. Fear Him, He gives His goodness. Cry out, He hears His righteous ones. He doesn't say, oh, no, don't, just, just shut up. I don't want to talk to you. No, Lord, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. I know, I know, I hear you. He doesn't have a deaf ear to His people. Like when the kids get hurt, they, come to, they don't come to me, they go to mom. I go, ah, oh, what's the matter with you? Get out of here. 
You're fine. You're, you're bleeding. You're broken arm. You're okay. It's fine. Just go play. And they come to mom. Mom, no. Right? God says, come. We cry out. He hears his people. Four, trust him. He'll keep his promises. I mean, what, what's the, the greatest of the greatest of all great promises that God has ever kept? He brought his son who died and rose. Isn't that the greatest promise? So if he keeps that promise, the greatest of promises, he's gonna keep his other promises. Not what you think might be a promise. That's <laughs> different. Trust him, cry out, fear him, praise him. When life comes at us with all its uncertainties, this psalm helps us to know how to manage life with our good, sir, satisfying God. I hope this encourages you. Let's ask the Lord to work this in our hearts, okay? Oh great triune God, we thank you that you meet all our needs. So we praise you. We thank you for your goodness. It satisfies us so we fear you. We thank you that as we cry out to you, you hear us as your people, the righteous, and you always keep your promises. Help us to trust you. And we'll blow it, we will, like three hours from now, two hours from now, an hour from now. We'll lack trust in you. Respond wrongly. Be it, thank you, you're so filled with grace. So may we respond with humility, as David talked about here, humbling ourselves before you. I encourage you at this time. Take this minute, like minute, minute and a half. To fill your mind with truth, to fill your mind with God's word, to fill your mind with what we've seen from his word in Psalm 34. Let your heart be encouraged. And you know, we'll sing, we pray. I really encourage you in this time. Maybe pray. Maybe pray, pray. Lord, help me to praise you. Or maybe you want to pray, Lord, help me to understand and know you meet my needs. Help me to see your goodness. Maybe you pray, Lord, I'm not trusting you. So I'm going to trust you. And then thank him. Thank you, Lord. You forgive me when I don't trust you. you. You forgive me when I don't see your goodness. You forgive me when I... I want you to meet my wants, not my needs. Thank him for that. So take this time, just a few moments, between you and the Lord. Would you do that now, please?